Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.deborahrrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. Okay, so we are still waiting for the IRS to publish the latest version of the W-9. After all, the draft version was issued July 26, 2023. And as of this podcast recording, it's already mid-October. In the interim, or really any time after, let's talk about a substitute W-9 form that you can create while you're waiting or update if you currently have one that will benefit the vendor team and may even make it easier for the vendor to onboard. So keep listening. Welcome to episode 260, the benefits of a substitute W-9 and recommendations for vendor data to collect. So as of the recording of this podcast, uh, the IRS that has or who has issued the uh, revision October 2023 version of the form W-9. They have not released it yet. Now, the draft version was uh, issued on July 26, 2023. And the good news is, is that they would not change that draft version unless they issued yet another draft version, which they have not done. Now, don't fret about waiting for the IRS to publish it or to release the October 20. 2023 version because I looked it up um, when they released the version that we have right now, which is the October 2018 version. They released it October 29th and so uh, of 2018. And so it's mid-October, again, as of the recording of this podcast. So it's not um, like it's out of the ordinary to not have it published or the new version published already. So in the interim, let's talk about a substitute W-9 and some recommendations on what to include. Now, before we get started, I do want to say, and I'll have a link in the uh, show notes, that the IRS, if you didn't know, does allow for substitute W-9. And I'll put a link to the instructions for the requesters of the W-9 because that does show where a uh, link or where a 
W9, substitute W9 is allowed. And it also identifies what you need to include on one. Now, keep in mind that when the IRS publishes the latest version, right, finally publishes the October 2023 version of the W-9, they should also release, although it could be a few days later, the uh, updated instructions for the requesters of the W-9. That is where you find what is required uh, to include on the on the sub-W-9. But for the most part, it is really um, the information that they collect uh, including the certifications, um, the information that's required. So make sure you check that out. I will put a link to the existing version. Actually, yeah, I'll put a link to the existing version and you can check it out now if you like. Uh, and then maybe you can get started. Now, if you already have a substitute W9, um, you might want to just take a look at the, uh, uh, at the current or the new version, the revision, October 2023, just to see what you might want to, just to see what you are going to have to update. And I'm also going to put a link, and I think I did um, the last podcast too, where I talked about the training session that I have for the IRS Form W-9. And it's it's typically every, the third Wednesday of every month. And I always talk about, uh, talk about it from or train from the perspective of the vendor team member, right? What to look for when accepting it from your vendor. And I have examples by tax classification. And so all of October, um, I switched it to, or I added more training sessions, weekly training sessions, and I go over the October 2023 updates and what to expect. And then once the IRS updates uh, or releases the final version, I will go ahead and update the examples. But if you're interested in taking that training session, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. And I think I had a link to it, like I said before, in prior uh, podcast episodes for October, but um, you'll find one in the show in the show notes here. All right. So now that we know we can have one, uh, a substitute W-9, let's talk about the benefits of it. And the benefits um, are at least two. And maybe you can think of other benefits based on your company industry or process. So the biggest benefit that I see with using a substitute W-9 over a uh, the IRS's version of the W-9 is you get to collect more information. So on the IRS's version of the W-9, you get the legal name, you might get the DBA if they have one, you get one address, and then you get the tax ID, and that's it. But how often do we need more information, right? Maybe you want to collect their DUNS number. Maybe you want to collect additional addresses, especially if the address on the W-9 is a P.O. box. You always want to collect a physical address uh, just to be sure that it's not a fraudster, you know, trying to get set up because lots of times they'll hide behind P.O. boxes. And so you want to, you know, avoid fraud. So it's fine that they give you a uh, P.O. box, but they also must follow that up with a physical address as well. And you can collect that on your substitute W-9. 
Now, you can also collect things like diversity classifications. So you can identify the ones that are important to your company and then just have them check check the applicable box that is uh, applicable for them. I also uh, include on the substitute W-9 form that I use for my clients, the quote unquote entity classification. And I don't know if that's, you know, would be the right verbiage for you, but what this uh, field or section is supposed to identify is if you have, for an example, a, a C corporation, so they've selected entity type as a C, co- uh, C corporation, which means that they are not reportable except or unless they have payments that have to be reported, uh, even if their tax class says they're not reportable. And these are things like legal services, medical services, right? Um, There's a whole list of that, which again, I go over in that IRS uh, W-9 training uh, session I talked about earlier. But this way you can have the vendor self-identify by selecting um, those fields through applicable checkbox if it applies to them. And you can make it be anything, but the way I have four of them set up, I have legal slash attorney services, medical services, other government, um, and then other specify. And I have a field where they can key it in. So this is one way that the vendor can tell you. And sometimes that's really good for the vendor team because we don't always have the... Um, direct relationship with the vendor. We don't really know what they're buying, um, especially if it's not a PO vendor. And so this can help us out at the time of vendor setup. Uh, Another thing that I collect is the contact information. So the contact name, phone number, fax number, if you're still using fax, and then also their email address. So that is really good um, to collect. And then the last thing that I collect uh, and this is especially true for new vendors, actually is new is great for existing vendors too, is I collect the contact information from the, uh, the internal employee that they have a relationship with. And this can be the buyer if it's a PO vendor, or it could be right whoever they are dealing with if it's not a PO vendor. Um, if it's not a PO vendor, which can come in very handy, right? Because if there's any anything suspicious about the email or the request, especially if it's a request to change vendor banking, right? Um, if you suspect fraud, now you have someone that you can reach out to. In addition to that, it's one of those fields that Uh, if a froster got this far and is trying to get set up in your accounting system, right, that fake vendor, they're not going to have a point of contact or maybe they do, but they know the point of contact isn't dealing with them. So this is really one of those prohibitive uh, pieces of data that will hopefully have them or result in that fraudster, right? Just abandoning this whole request because you're asking for more information than just what's on the W-9, which can be easy for fraudsters to to obtain. And so those are the things that I do recommend at a minimum that you include on there, especially for new vendors, but um, for new and existing vendors that have to submit a W-9. And then uh, something 
something else that I recommend that uh, you can include as well. So all of that I talked about was all on like page one. And it's just, you know, one page that they have to fill out of the W-9 as well. But I do have a page two for when vendors um, want to change their information. And that is modification or it's called modification to existing vendor records. And so uh, I, if any of you have been around me or listened to any of my content or read any of my content, right, ever, I, I talk a lot about uh, avoiding fraud um, with a business email compromise where vendors will submit a request to change, uh, fraudsters will submit a fraudulent request to change vendor banking to divert the payments. Well, one way that you can get away with that is on the uh, have your own vendor banking form and require the existing banking uh, in order for them to change uh, change it to the new banking. And that's a, t- a deterrent for fraudsters as well. Um, and I do the same thing with some of the vendor data on this substitute W-9 form on page two, again, modification to existing vendor records. So for example, if they want to change your address, uh, they have to give the existing address. And this is really kind of just like the vendor banking. If your vendor is a check payment method vendor and you are relying on the remittance address to get the payment to the vendor, in my mind, that is just like banking, right? Because they're trying to divert payments. And so fraudsters do try to send in Um, You don't hear about it as much. Actually, you're hearing about it more and more, but they'll send a request to change the remittance address so that the check can be diverted. Well, you ask them the same thing, right? What is the existing address? And maybe they have it, maybe they don't, but it's just another deterrent, another obstacle that might deter or be prohibitive for some of the fraudsters uh, to abandon their request. So address is one. Contact information is another. I'll be honest with you here. A lot of the clients that I recommend this for will um, decline to have it required. It's still on the form. It's just not required. But I put it there because the contact information, right, can be critical because if you think about it, that's the person that that contact is the one that you call for uh, the confirmation of vendor changes. And so that email address, phone number, right, can be critical. And then I do the same thing for the vendor name and also uh, the tax ID. And Uh, Again, you don't have to make it required, but uh, on my template version of the form, it is required. So that's what I include. Um, And keep in mind, too, if you are creating a new substitute W-9, then uh, you have to also include all the instructions as well. And so uh, if you have a, an existing substitute W-9 that you just need to update, make sure you update the instructions uh, as well. All right. So the biggest thing is using a substitute W-9 versus the IRS's version of the W-9 is you get to collect more vendor data. Now, the second benefit, and maybe this could be the most important is that it's more, it could be easier for your vendor to, um, to complete because 
you're going to use wording that they understand. So how many times, especially those vendors in that first tax class, the sole proprietor, single member LLC, individual, they don't always know, right? They're not going to read the instructions and they don't always know what to put uh, or how to fill out that W-9 correctly. And so one big issue is they'll put the name that's coming, uh, that the invoices are coming to you in on line one, because that's what they think they need to do. However, per IRS instructions, they need to put their first and last name on line one and the name that the invoice is going to come in uh, uh that disregarding entity or DBA name on line two. Well, the IRS doesn't really say DBA. Um, They say disregarding entity. And so the vendor may not just may not know what that means. And so on your form, though, you can put uh, for legal name, you can spell it out, you know, legal name. Um, I have it where it says, as shown on your income tax return, that's meant to say, you know, give your first and last name. Now you can make that a little more descriptive if you um, like, but I also include the DBA slash disregarding entity name. So I include the business name slash DBA, that verbiage, in addition to the disregarding entity name verbiage, if different from the legal name. And so that brings in that DBA that might trigger, you know, someone that doesn't understand disregarded entity to understand that they mean the DBA name. And so that's one. Uh, so it, it could be, and that could be a big thing, right? Um, that you can make it easier for your vendor to understand how to complete this form. Now I said two, but uh, technically I, I guess I have three in that, and it depends. So if you currently have a vendor setup form, and you also collect the IRS W-9, how about combining the two? So now it's only one form. And that way um, you can uh, not have to send your vendors two separate forms, just send them one form to complete. And now they have complied right with the IRS's requirement. And I do have a tip on that in just a minute. So combining both the vendor, your existing vendor setup form and the IRS W-9 form um, reduces the number of forms you have to collect from two to one, at least in regards to collecting vendor data. Uh, And it can make it easier for um, the vendor to complete it while you are collecting more information. So all of that is just really good, um, great reasons why you should use a substitute W-9 form. Now, I didn't mention it in my opening and I should have, but I've got a great tip for uh, using the substitute W-9 form. So if any of you that are listening, any listeners on that are part of my vendor process training pass, you know you have access to the template version of the substitute W-9 form. And I call it at the top of the form, I call it the substitute W-9 form. The thing that some of my vendor or clients run into is 
the vendor will already have a W-9 form. And so if you send them this long version of the substitute W-9 form, they're going to say, well, I don't need to fill out this long version. I can just give you my W-9. They're not looking at the fact that on the W-9, there's like five pieces of data where on your substitute W-9 form, there's, you know, more pieces of data. As a matter of fact, maybe they are looking at it and that's why they don't want to fill it out. So what I suggest is you just change the name, change the name to your vendor setup form because vendors, um, typically will not fret when you have, when they have to submit a vendor setup form, because they could be used to doing that. Um, It's just that when you call it a substitute W-9 form, they want to take the easy way out because they are, they may already have one. So uh, instead of calling it a substitute W-9 form, call it a vendor setup form and go from there. And you will find that you'll have um, less opposition or pushback from completing that form because vendors are maybe not with you if you didn't have a vendor setup form prior to that, but other buyers, right? They are filling out vendor setup forms. And so they are used to doing that. And that's one way that you could avoid that pushback. All right. So again, as we wait on the IRS W-9 or Form W-9 revision dated October 2023 to be released, this is an excellent opportunity to uh, either create a substitute W-9 form or update your substitute W-9 form. And don't forget, you do need to wait until you get the uh, updated or the October 2023 version of the instructions for the requesters of the W-9. So you can make sure you capture all of the requirements for a substitute W-9. That's where it's going to be listed for the um, revised version. And again, hopefully that won't be too long. It'll probably be the last week in October. All right, so that is it. I hope that provided you some value today on how to get more out of that W-9 to avoid fraud and collect more information and possibly help your vendors create or uh, complete the W-9 easily Uh, more easily than they can the IRS's version. All right, so that is it for today. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoy the uh, 260th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.